Second Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, but the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondsmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? And then as an afterthought, he said, Tell me, what hast thou in thine house? She said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, and borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. Thou shalt pour out unto all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. It came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go, sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. We, we preachers, we, we title our sermons. There's a method to our madness. I doubt seriously if Peter titled his or Paul titled his, but we do. And uh, hopefully that'll give you a handle to hang on to. So if you wake up Wednesday morning and hopefully you say, boy, Brother Mullins really did good Sunday. I don't remember what he said. I just remember it was good. Uh, if you can remember the title, sometimes you can weave your way back into the thread of the thought. I want to preach to you for a little while about unintended consequences. Everybody say praise the Lord. Bless you. You may be seated. As I have traveled, and it's been my privilege to preach many places in the last 25 or 30 years, I've preached camp meetings and conferences and conventions, and I have noticed something in all of my travels that, that in the hour we live in, it seems that there are some having difficulty defining what is pleasing to God and what is the will of God and what they're supposed to be doing for God. And, and uh, as we go through life, there are times that our doings and our actions result in, 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 in results that we cannot foresee, did not plan, often did, and sometimes we never know what is the result of some of our, our doing. But, but as a result of that, Sometimes I, I, I feel that some children of God wrestle with the feeling that they seem like they are less than they wish they were in God. Now, there's one principle you have to understand in serving God, and that is when you stand before God and you are weighed, God weighs differently than man weighs. God does not weigh on scales. With God, it's not how much or how many, or how far, or whatever. God does not weigh on scales. He weighs on balances, Pastor. God puts my gifting and my talent and the opportunities that I've had on one side, and he puts my living and my life and my service on the other. And if I bring them into balance, I am a success in God. I am not weighed by the gifting and talents of Micah Johnson. I'm not weighed of the gifting and talents of this brother right here. I'm weighed by the gifting and talents of Ronnie Mullings. That's what I answer to God for, and I have to understand that. In the story that I read to you today, this, this lady, she, she comes to the prophet, and she has a dilemma. Her husband has died, and by her own confession, he is a... He is a good man. He was a good man. He served the Lord. He feared God. 
but apparently either by circumstance or, or, or poor money management, whatever. We don't know the format there. But he has left his family with a considerable debt. And according to the law, the, 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 the one who, who held the debt had the opportunity and the right to come and, and take her sons into servitude for whatever period of time that would require to, to satisfy the debt. And so she comes to the prophet and, and she shares her dilemma with him and, and she has only one focus in all of this conversation and that is to save her sons from servitude. That's the only focus she has. And the preacher looks at her and he gives her a word from the Lord. You know, I am amazed at how many times I and others that I know have come to God in distress and perplexities, seeking we, what we really want God to do is wave his magic wand over it and make it right and make it go away. And yet most of the time when I've really sought the Lord, what I have gotten from him is a word. He's given me a plan. He's given, but, but somehow the plan always seems to involve me in it. And so she gets a word from the Lord and she responds and she goes and she obeys the commandment and she has her sons borrow vessels and, and she goes into the house and she shuts the door on them and, and she begins to pour out the oil and this vessel is full and the next one and I don't know how many but there was a great many I suppose because when it was all said and done she's got this house full of vessels filled with oil and she comes back to the prophet and he says now I want you to go take that oil go sell it in the city you'll have enough to pay the debt and you'll also have enough for you and your sons to survive and to continue to live. Now, her only focus was to redeem her sons from servitude. But in her obedience to the word that the man of God gave her, she also was able to supply oil for her city. You know, in, in so many instances, we get tunnel vision. In Proverbs, the wise man said, where there's no vision the people perish. The word vision there is a Hebrew word that does not speak of a foretelling or a foretelling. It's simply a word which speaks of perception, the ability to see the big picture. And he said, sometimes our problem is we get tunnel vision and we don't have the ability to see the big picture. That's why it's sad. I think, you know, in, in, in Isaiah, the prophet, the Lord spoke through the prophet and he looked at Israel and says, my thoughts are as high above your thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. My ways are, why, you know, and, and we take consolation in that. We say, well, even God understands. But if you really read the context, he was not consoling them. He was rebuking them. He was saying, you're my people. Why is my thinking so different than yours? Why are my ways so different than yours? But this lady, she takes the word that the man of God gives her and she obeys it. And that, that, that's why I think Paul said, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. But she takes the oil and she sells the oil and she redeems her son from servitude. But, but the unique thing about it is since she sold the oil, that tells me there was a market for her oil, which tells me the city needed her oil. That was not her purpose. She had no intent to meet the needs of the city. Her only goal was her family and the redeeming of them. But a byproduct, an unintended consequence of her obedience to the word of the Lord was providing a much needed means for her city. Her obedience ministered not only to her family, but to the city 
that she lived in. And it so often works that way in our service of the Lord. We need to understand something. The most powerful weapon in the arsenal of any Christian is, is, is pure and simple obedience to the word of the Lord, especially when Paul said it's combined with reverence and godly fear. I think sometimes in our pursuit of greatness, and I, and I want to be great in God. I hope you do too. But sometimes in our pursuit of greatness in God, we often rush past one of the greatest attributes that a child of God can have. Saul looked at Sam, uh, Samuel looked at Saul one day, and he said, Saul, you need to understand something. To obey is better than all sacrifice. We're here today. We're the people of the Spirit. I felt the Holy Ghost move in this place. But we need to understand the purpose of the Spirit. In 61 of Isaiah, the, the prophet prophesied the coming Messiah. And his, his testimony would be, I have come to exchange the oil of joy for the spirit of mourning. And you need to understand something, child of God. If you have the Holy Ghost, you have a, a, a saving relationship with God, you have the oil of the Spirit. And there's a market out there for your oil. But the key is understanding some things. And one of those things is in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Now, I realize it's hard to get a vision for the lost when you cannot see hell or eternity. And most of us don't. It's, it's too far distant a concept for most of us. And that's not, a, that's not a, a, a condemnation. That's just a reality. But I do understand that much, if not most, of what we do, much, and if not most, of what we accomplish in serving God is not done by design. It is simply a byproduct of the oil of the Spirit, which is a byproduct of our obedience to the will and the purpose and the Word of God. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, I will hear from heaven, I will heal their land, I will forgive their sin." The commandment is to worship him in the beauty of holiness. The commandment is let your light so shine that they may see your good works and thereby glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's why the first and greatest commandment is not heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. It's thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. For on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Every thou shalt and thou shalt not in that book is there to accomplish one of two things. That's to make you love Jesus more or love each other more. Hallelujah. Most of what we accomplish in the kingdom of God is simply a byproduct of being Christian. There's an unbelievable reservoir of potential in obedience to the word of God. Nothing that we can do frees God to be God like simply obeying his word and serving him. In Joshua chapter 1, as, as Israel comes in, to the land of Canaan and, and Joshua speaks to them and in verse number 8 he said this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do all according that is written therein for then shalt thou make, make thy way prosperous and then shalt thou have good success all you have to do he said to succeed is just embrace the law of God submit to the law of God obey the law of God and then the consequences will occur whether intended or not. It's not a matter most of the time of making things happen in our service of God. It's a matter of letting things think. For, for example, 
God inhabits praise. Everybody that knows that, say amen. That's why the Bible tells us, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise because God will inhabit that. And the Bible tells us where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's a word which means the ability to be freed from every negative force. The power of God is released. When we make God, God, we simply come in here. We lift him up. We exalt him. More people are healed when there's a prevailing atmosphere of praise. There's more people get the Holy Ghost when there's a prevailing atmosphere of praise. More people are encouraged when there's a prevailing atmosphere of praise than any other time. And it is very, very difficult for our, our finite minds to understand the potential and simple faithfulness to God. But it's also difficult for our finite minds to understand the, the potential damage of unfaithfulness. In John chapter 6, Jesus has, has been teaching all day. And the evening is, is coming on. And uh, the disciples come to Jesus, and I, I'm paraphrasing. I can do that. I have the mic. I get to do that. And, uh, and, and so they, they come to Jesus, Pastor, and they said, Lord, man, this is good stuff you're dishing out here. It's, just, it's cool. I mean, it's awesome. But, you know, the day is getting away, and these folks have quite a ways to go home, and, and we, need to, we need to give this service a, a graceful funeral and let them leave because they're going to faint from hunger if, if we don't... And Jesus said, I got a better idea. They said, well, we're open to it. He said, let's feed them. And, and they looked, Jesus said, Lord, if, if we had, first of all, if we had 300 penny worth of bread, number one, we have to have the 300 pennies. A penny was a day's wages for average working men. So we got a year's salary for the average working man. If we had the money to buy that much bread, there's no place to buy that much bread. So your idea is really great. But there are some challenges to that, and I don't know how we're going to... And, and while they're commiserating about how profound the challenge is and how they're not equipped to handle it, how we don't know how we're going to do this, the 11 who Jesus has called personally are there wringing their hands. How do we meet this? The one disciple that called himself, if you don't believe it, Andrew called himself. He just was following Jesus. Jesus turned around one day and said, what do you want? And, and Andrew said, I just want to know where you live. Because if I lose sight of you, I want to know where I can find you. Because where you are, that's where I want to be. And so Andrew calls himself and the one disciple, he's out while the other 11 are wringing their hands. He's out there looking among the crowd and he finds a little lad who brought a lunch of five loaves. And this is not loaves, this is little biscuits and two little fish. And he says, hey, bud, can I borrow these? I, well, not borrow, I ain't going to give them back. But, but he said, well, yeah, I guess. So he brings them to Jesus. He said, here, look at what I found. And uh, the others look at him and said, but what are these among so many? And Jesus said, well, I'll show you what they are. And so he blesses them. When God blesses things, things happen. And so he begins to break the bread and break the fish. And, and, a, and a hundred are fed. And then 500 are fed. And then a thousand are fed. And then 5,000 men plus the women and children are fed. And after that, they take up 12 baskets full. So all the disciples have lunch ready tomorrow. And, 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 and I don't think when that little boy left home with his lunch that day, I don't think it was in his thinking that he was going to be part of a great 
miracle of God, one of the profound things that he did in the New Testament. And, and he, when he gave the, the loaves and the fishes to, to Andrew, I don't know that he thought he would just trying to be cooperative, but, but the story doesn't even end there. you got to go back before the little boy left home as he goes to his mama, and he says, Mom, that preacher guy that we've heard about, he's out there by the lakeside today. I'd like to go out and hear what he's saying. The mama said, well, I don't see a problem with that. Take off, and he goes, she, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, you're going to be out there all day long. Hang around. i got to fix you a little lunch. I'm not going to send one of my little kids out of here without a lunch. So she makes him a little lunch, five loaves and two fishes. She has no idea she's going to be involved in one of the greatest miracles Jesus ever perform all she's doing is her duty she's trying to be a good mama and all the rest of it was unintended consequences of just a lady who says I'm I'm gonna do what's right I'm gonna do my duty I'm gonna take care of my family hallelujah that's why G- Acts 13 47 Paul said For we are made as a light to the Gentiles to be for their salvation. How how is that? We just let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. In the same vein, unfortunately, Hebrews 12, 15 said, Take heed lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You know, you need to guard your spirit. You need to realize how far-reaching that your just insignificant little things may be. Some years ago, our youngest daughter, she's our baby. She's 44 years old now, but she's still our baby. She was, the choir was getting ready to sing. She was going to sing a lead in the choir. And uh, she, she said, I, I'm going to testify. She said, I didn't ask permission. I'm going to do it anyhow. Okay, you got the mic. And she said, I want to take just a minute, and I want to... Thank my mother and dad for who they are. I thought, well, that's cool. She said, no, here's what the deal said. A short time ago, we were at a family gathering where a lot of the extended family that we never see were there. And said, I was sitting at a table with my dad and some of the other extended family that some of them I really didn't know all that well. And as the conversation went on, someone made a comment about something that had happened in the past. And I could tell my dad was uncomfortable. And he just, he just tried to move the conversation on. But said, my curiosity was piqued. And, and, and I said, well, wait, wait, what, what are you talking about? And this extended family member began to tell about a time when, when a, an individual got in a very, very precarious situation. And he approached my mother and dad and asked if they could help and and, and they did and, and uh, helped him out of this position and, and he made some commitments to them but once he got out of his position and, and his problem was alleviated, said he kind of walked off and, and didn't honor the commitments he had made and said it left my mother and dad in a very, very precarious financial situation that it took several years for them to dig themselves out of. And she said, here's the thing. Said, I never knew this. And so that, that individual has been a great blessing in my life. They've helped me live for God and said, these are blessings I would have never been able to receive if I had known. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. 1 Corinthians 3.13, Paul said, our works are manifest. That's why Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine. Matthew 5, 14, we are a city set on a hill that can't be hid. That's not my doing. That's God's doing. 
All I'm doing is obeying his word. All I'm doing is serving him. All I'm doing is submitting to his, his standard of apostolic identity and his position on holiness and, and all those things. And, and, and we, I cannot, you cannot know and you will probably never fully realize the potential impact of your love affair with Jesus Christ. I do know this, Hosea 8 and 7. Yeah, go ahead. God's good. I know this, Hosea 8 and 7. He said, if you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. The pastor, we always read that in a negative connotation. We, we, we sow a little bit of disobedience and, and we reap. But may it also work in the positive? We offer God our, our feeble little, I, not that much I could do. I'm 75 years old and I'm tired. I stay tired. But he said, if you sow a wind, you sow a little breeze of obedience. You sow a little breeze of commitment. You just serve God and you be faithful to God. And, and, and I, I know sometimes this pastor, he's going to stand in the next two or three or four years and he's going to teach you some things out of that book that's going to crimp your style. And you're going to say, I don't understand why we have to do that to be a child of God. You know what? I raised three kids and and and. I gave all three of them spankings for things they didn't understand. All they knew is they had disobeyed me. They didn't know why they couldn't do it. They didn't know why I told them you can't go out in the middle of the freeway and play. They didn't understand that. The big, hello. And I don't know, that, that wasn't even in the notes. I'm sorry. I don't know. But we don't know how far reaching that our obedience and our commitment to God. Hebrews 11 and 4, by faith, Abel, being dead, yet speaketh. The only thing I know Abel ever did was, was bring an offering. And I, it, used to, it used to bother me, Pastor, because it said that by faith Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and God smiled on his offering, but, but he didn't. On, 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 Abel offered this, and Cain's offering didn't get blessed of the Lord. And it seemed like God was very arbitrary because because I'm sorry, any way you slice it, Cain's offering was a lot more labor-intensive than Abel's. I mean, he had to till the ground. He had to plant the seed. He had to weed the garden. He had to reap the seed. He had sweat of his brow, and all Abel had to do was set up on the side of the hill and scratch his belly and watch the lamb grow. But then one day I realized the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered a more... And faith only comes by hearing the word of the Lord, Paul said. So though we don't have a record of it, I don't know where it occurred in the book of Genesis. These boys had a word from God what kind of an offering he wanted. And Abel was blessed because he obeyed the word of the Lord. It wasn't a matter of how much or how many. It was what God asked for. It was what God wanted. And he was just obeying. The faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. And he obeyed the word of the Lord. And he being dead, all, that's, all I have, that's all I know he ever did was take one lamb and sacrifice it to God among the countless hundreds of thousands of lambs that were sacrificed in the Old Testament. But I know this, we're still preaching about him today. He had no concept in his mind when he took that lamb that day that he was going to provide preaching material for a little fat red-faced preacher in April in Covina, California. But... It was an unintended consequence of his simple obedience to the word of the Lord. It's kind of like Jesus at the wedding in Cana. His mother looked at the folks and he said, whatever he says to you, just do it. Can I give all y'all some advice? Whatever the word of God says, just do it. 
Matthew 5, 17, you said you're the salt of the earth. But in Mark 4, 9, 50, he said salt's good, but if it loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under feet of men. The thing that makes salt salt is what it is. It's just his nature. It affects its surroundings. Everything it comes in contact with is changed to a degree. It, it's not because it tries to. It's not because that's objective. It's just the natural consequence of being salt. This was driven home very forcibly to me a number of years ago. I, uh, as, as the years started clicking away, I made a covenant with this beautiful lady over here that I was not going to become one of those smelly, unkempt old men. So as a result, I bathe twice every day. I keep the hair cut out of my ears and my nose, and I try to be, and, and even when we're home at church, the, the last thing I do before I leave my office and go out into the, the church is I, I, I go to the mirror and make sure my necktie's straight, make sure my hair's in place, and then I, I, ref, I refresh my cologne. Well, a number of years ago, we had a young couple that got married, and a uh, sweet couple. They're still in the church. They're treasures. And, uh, but they, about 18 months, here came along a little baby girl. About 18 months, here come along another little baby girl. About 18 months, here come along another little baby girl. About 18 months, here come along another little baby girl. I told my wife, I said, you know, we may need to reconsider our position on television. These folks need something to do. But anyhow, <laughs> just kidding. But anyhow, about after the third one, I don't know, Jillian, the oldest, she was probably four or five years old. Anyhow, I had just walked out of my office into the foyer, and, and they, were, they were walking in, and she looked at me, and I was the pastor at that time. She said, Pastor! She ran over, and I knelt down, and I gave her a big hug, patted her on the head, and sent her on in with her family. After church, Kurt, her dad, came to me and said, Pastor, when she came in and crawled up in my lap, I leaned over to Jennifer, which is his wife, and I said, She smells just like Pastor. And that troubled me because it made me realize that everybody I come in contact with, I leave my fragrance on them, good or bad. Hello? And so he said salt, it affects its surroundings. That's why in 2 Peter 1.14, he said we're partakers of the divine nature. And as such, whether you want to or not, you're going to affect your surroundings. That's like Jesus talked about faith as a grain of mustard seed. And we, we hear it preached that, that mustard is, uh, is uh, it, you know, it, it, the size, that little seed grows into this great plant and all that. But there's other aspects of mustard. I mean, uh, for instance, if you grow a garden, you do not want to plant mustard next to your tomatoes. Because if you do, your tomatoes are going to taste like mustard. Hello? Because it affects its surroundings. It, it affects the things that it comes in contact with. That, that's why Second Peter 2.10, Peter said, The fruit of our obedience is undeniable. Men see our good works or vice versa, and they glorify our Father which is in heaven. In Luke chapter 1, John is, 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 is prophesied. The, the angel comes to, to Zacharias, and he begins to explain to him that, that uh, the... Uh, 
the word of the Lord is going to be fulfilled. This, this voice crying in the wilderness is going to come from his loins, and he's an old man, and, he, and, and he's not, he's, it doesn't seem reasonable, and yet, and yet the prophecy comes. And, and it's unique because Zacharias was a burner of incense, probably the lowest rung on the, the totem pole of the priesthood. It was a, incense is a type of prayer. He, he's simply a prayer warrior. Zacharias will never stand on the, the steps of the, of the temple and, and accept the sacrificial offering. He'll never walk in and, and cut the throat and catch the blood in the basin. He'll never mem- dismember it and lay it upon the altar. He'll never take the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and stand there and watch the Shekinah of God come down. He just, he just, but, but the Bible says something unique about him in Luke chapter 1, 6 about him and his wife. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Verse 8, and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God, in, in just in the order of his course, he was just being faithful according to the custom of the priest's office. That's why the wise man in Ecclesiastes said, whatever your hand find to do, do it with thy might, for there's no work, device, knowledge, or wisdom in the grave. You know, we, we look at David great the man after God's own heart and uh and the story of David and Goliath is so uniquely incredible I I doubt seriously if there is an apostolic preacher who sometimes in the first five or six times he preached didn't preach on David and Goliath because it just makes such easy preaching hallelujah five smooth stones and a slingshot and bless God there's a cause and victory and the problem is most preachers will preach, and, and if you're one of those and you do this, that, that's okay. You have a constitutional right to be wrong. Uh, but we use that to preach that every one of us at some point in our life and our walk with God, we're going to face our own giant, and we're going to have to kill that giant if we're going to succeed in God. You know, the only problem with that is there's just a limited demand for giant killers in any generation because there's a limited number of giants that need killing the only way you could please God in David's generation was to be a giant killer there wasn't a whole lot of people that could please God because there weren't a lot of giants hello God is not looking for giant killers now if a giant arises in this generation and it needs to be taken down I thank God that he will provide the man or the woman who is equal to the task and he'll get it done but the fact of the matter is you and I and almost all of us here will never be giant killers. We, we, we say David won a great victory that day. David didn't win the victory. David did kill the giant. He changed the atmosphere from one of fear to one of faith. But once the atmosphere was changed from fear to faith, the army of the, the common foot soldiers came out of the trenches and they won the victory that day. They routed the Philistines. They won a great victory just like they could have all along. Hallelujah. And so Paul said his greatest potential was if by any means he might provoke Israel that some might be saved. This this incredibly great, powerful, prolific man of God, writer of most of the New Testament, most of what we know about serving God came from the pen of Paul. And Paul yet said his greatest potential was just somehow God might use him to provoke Israel that some of them might be saved. 
That's why in Matthew 9, 11, Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. The word labor is just a Greek word for toilers. God is not looking for supermen. He's looking for faithful people who will just hear his word, submit to his word, even if it rubs me the wrong way, even if I don't understand it, even if it crimps my style, even if just be faithful to God. This one woman comes to the prophet with a dilemma. He gives her a word from the Lord. Her only focus, her only ambition, her only desire is to redeem her boys from servitude. And most of us here, quite frankly, it may sound selfish, but most of here, the reason we're here is we want to go to heaven. We want to be saved. That's my goal. That's my ambition. And yet, an unintended consequence of her obedience to the man of God was that she provided much-needed oil for her city. Joseph, and I've found the runway. I'm about to land, okay? Joseph is sitting on the governor's seat in Egypt. He has developed a plan whereby the known world has saved from starvation. Because of his plan, his own family, who has discarded him like a piece of trash, is saved and will become the nation of Israel, because of his plan to save the known world from starvation and redeem his family, he is setting the stage for Shiloh to come. But it all started years before when, when he is in Potiphar's house and, and only he and Potiphar's wife are there and she tries to seduce him and Joseph looks at her and he said, I cannot do this thing. He didn't say I can't do it because Potiphar might find out because Potiphar would never know. There was no one in the house but them. He said, I, how can I do this and, and this great sin against my God? He said, this is not right. I simply can't do it. Paul went to prison. In prison, he met Pharaoh's butler. He interpreted his dream. Because of that, two years later, Pharaoh's butler, remember that man in prison who interpreted dreams, he brought him out. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Because of that, Pharaoh made him the governor of Egypt. Because of that, he developed a plan to save the known world from starvation. Because of that, his family was saved. Because of that, there's a nation of Israel. Because of that, Shiloh came. Because of that, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of God today. But those were all unintended consequences. Those didn't go to prison to save his family. He didn't go to prison to save the world. He didn't go to prison to set the states of Shiloh. He didn't go to prison to establish the nation of Israel. He went to prison over a principle. All of the rest of that was just unintended consequences. Now, if he hadn't gone to prison, Pastor, none of that would have happened. But that's not why Joseph went. Joseph went because he was going to be faithful to his God. He said, how can I do this thing? That's why in John 14, 23, Jesus said, if any man love me, he will keep my word and I will come make my abode with him. Was Joseph called to be the governor? If he was, he didn't know it. He was called to love his God, to honor his God. But his love and honor for his God produced something. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi chapter 2 verse 12. He said, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. No one here, I'm sure, will know the man. Brother Jess Clayton was one of the early pioneers of the apostolic movement here in our state. Years ago, was a member of our district board. Uh, just a unique preacher he went to the church that I went to when I was a boy and uh, I was just a young man Sister Mullings and I had just been married a short time and on Sunday evening in fact the Sunday evening before he passed away the next Saturday he preached and he said I I had a dream last night and I dreamed I died and I went to judgment And he said, I stood there in the longest line I'd ever seen in my life. And way in the distance, out at the end of that line, was this incredibly bright glow. And I knew that was the throne of God. And he said, I I was so anxious, so eager to get up there and have him look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He said, I waited and waited and waited. And finally, he said, I got to the front of the line and I stepped up in front of the throne and Jesus sat there and and he said Jesus didn't say a thing he said he just motioned me over to the balances he said I walked over and I stepped up on the balance and oh I was so eager I couldn't wait I just but he said in just a moment of time my eagerness turned to terror because I realized that I was not bringing it into balance and he said, as I stood there in just a few seconds of time, I relived my whole life. He said, I, I tried, what did I do? What didn't I do? Where, where did I fall? What? He said, I could not think of anything. I had loved God. I had served God to the best of my ability. I could. He said, Pastor, I couldn't think of a thing. And he said, about the time, despair overwhelmed me. He said, I felt the balances wiggle. And said, they came into balance. And he said, I looked over. Jesus had stepped up beside me. Unintended consequences, Pastor. Let's all stand this morning, if you would. A word from the Lord. Every decision that we make, even right now, God's doing something with it. There's going to be a consequence. There's going to be something that follows. I think this is a challenge for our church today. What are we doing in 2021 that's going to impact eternity? That's going to impact our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our co-workers. I don't know about you, but I want to have an impact in this city, in this world today. I want to change a destiny for somebody. I want to do a work in the kingdom for somebody. 
I want my children to go to heaven. Come on, somebody. I want my family to go to heaven. God, right now in this place, I pray that your spirit would speak to us. Lord, every heart, every mind, God that's here that has not been made up to serve you, God, I pray that your word would break through and speak to them today. God, anyone that's not been baptized, that you would move on us today, God. Implore us, Father, to make the change that needs to be made in our lives today, God. Anyone, Lord, that's not living a way that's pleasing to you and your word, I pray, God, you convict our minds, our spirits, our souls today. Oh, church, just go ahead and lift your hands right now. I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel the presence of the Lord. presence of the Lord is here if you need prayer today maybe this is your first time at Life Church and you want prayer for your life for your family we want to be able to pray with you today maybe you had a bad report from the doctor something's going on in your health we believe God still heals in 2021 I said he still heals today you need prayer in your family. Whatever's going on, we're going to open up this altar. We, are, we have been faithful to be safe. Our masks are on. Our prayer team is here. But we want to believe with you that God is going to perform a miracle in your family. Maybe you have loved ones that they're living outside of the church. They're living in the world. And you've been praying that God get their attention. Wake them up. I believe God can do it today. If you need a touch of the Lord today, I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to worship this morning. And if you need prayer, I'm going to invite you to come. Why don't you bring your family, loved ones, that's all right. Come on to the front. Why don't you bring your, your husband, your wife with you. Why don't you turn and find someone next to you and invite them to come and pray. Let's just worship the Lord today. Father, in this place right now that your spirit would move on us, Lord. Uh, all of the unintended consequences, God, that you would show them to us, God. Show us where we're at, Lord. Uh, move on us, God. Uh, encourage us today. Uh, we've come to make a change, God, today. We're not here by accident. We're not here by coincidence. Uh, but, God, we're here because you have led us to this moment, uh, on this day, uh, in this time. I pray God that your spirit would touch us I pray Lord your spirit would move on us in the name of Jesus that's it that's it feel free to come today there's a number already down here as you come go ahead and lift your hands lift your voices if you're out there still in the pew go ahead and just lift your hands right where you're at let's bless the Lord today hallelujah hallelujah I give myself away so you can use me I give myself away oh, I give myself away so you can use me 
myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Here I am. Here I stand. Lord, my life is in your hands. Give myself away. Oh, I give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away. I give myself, I give myself away, give myself away. So, you so you can use, can use me. I give myself away. Oh, I give myself away. So you can use me. My life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. My life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. Oh, we say my life is not my own. To you, to you I belong. I give myself away. I give myself, oh, I give myself yes. to you. Oh, I give my life to you. My life is not my own. To you, to you I belong. I belong. I give myself away. I give myself, give myself, I give myself away. to you. I give myself away. So you, so you can use, can use, oh, use me. me. I give myself away. Oh, I give myself, I give myself away. I give myself My life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. My life is not my own, to you I, you I belong. I give myself away, I give myself, I give myself to you. Oh, my life is not my own. 
not my own 